you, choir, very, very much for that. What an absolute delight it is to be gathered together. Christmas Eve, there is a sense of excitement. I can't see your faces now. I love to see your faces. Dr. J is rocking the top hat. It's got to be a special night, plus a choir. Tell you what, Big Woods is moving places. It was, um, it was about this time of the year, two weeks actually, before Christmas. And I was in college. My wife and I uh, went to the same college. We had been dating for a couple years, and I had saved up. I literally had saved up thousands and thousands. As a matter of fact, I had saved up tens of thousands of pennies to buy a ring. And I was so excited. And it was about two weeks, I had the ring about two weeks before we were to leave after, after finals for the semester to go home. And, and Wendy knew I got the ring, but she said, you cannot and you will not surprise me. So I had two weeks. I said, oh, you tell me I can't surprise you. So I had... I had set out. I was going to make sure that she was surprised. And so every time we were together, if I dropped a pencil and I bent over, she was ready for something. Tie my shoe, she was ready the entire time. She was totally convinced I was not going to surprise her, and I was convinced otherwise. I had been chosen, I don't know why, uh, to be in a Christmas play, and the role that I was to be playing was the angel. I don't think it was because of my angelic face in any way. But, but I, I was this angel, and so during the production of being this angel in a Christmas play, I had it all planned. I was going to surprise her. And, and what is amazing is that an angel is glowing and white. And so I had like white stuff, like makeup and powder all over me. Because I was going to be a good angel and bright lights shining. But I was really nervous because I knew what was going to happen. And, and I was sweating. And so there's like white just dripping all down my face. And I got my little cue, and the light shines on bright, and I, and I did what? Fear not, for behold. And after that, I, I got down on one knee when he was sitting in the front, and I asked her, will you marry me? And I'm just a nervous wreck. I'm shaking, I'm sweating, I'm a mess. I thought about it. She said yes to that. I thought, you know what? I'm like a lot of you men that are out there, I married up. I am grateful I was rescued from my youthful ignorance and silliness and stupidity. But, but there's a far greater problem that I actually had that my wife could not rescue me with. And that was the problem that I had with sin. This, this rescuing alone is what Jesus Christ can do. That is really the reason that we're gathered here this evening. This is what Christmas is all about. But I'm, I'm afraid we seem to miss it. Christmas has become very complex. Christmas has become very, very crowded, very cluttered, 
and very confusing. I was reminded of that just this week when I found a list, what are referred to as the coolest gifts for 2014. For, for $21.99, you can buy an electric pepper grinder because grinding pepper has really become an exhausting task. For $65, you can buy a set of musical wine glasses. For $28.20, you can get a George Foreman quesadilla maker. Or how about this? For $360, which you all need, is a remote control eagle. Literally one of the top gifts of this year. Or this is probably one of my uh, most, what was a, a, a namaste monk. Yeah, it's a stone monk. Listen to this. This monk will get you into the nirvana sort of mood each time you see him. He makes a great addition to your entryway so that he can greet you when you get home and send you off with the right frame of mind. You could pick him up for a cheap $59. Or there's also the natural sound soother with mood light. I've discovered that a lot of gifts today is is all about what? It's about making your life and my life a little bit better. It's making it a little bit easier and more comfortable. And this, what? Enter the reality and the simplicity of baby Jesus born in a manger. And it seems like that whole idea gets lost gets trampled under piles of of wrapping paper and boxes and bows and remote control eagles. It kind of reminds us, what, of of what it says in the Bible. In Luke chapter 2, it says this in verse 7, She, speaking of Mary, gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was, you know it, you know it, you've heard it, there was no room for them in the inn. Today, today it's not really that different. Today, there's really not much room. There's no place, there's no time, there's no understanding of Jesus. And the result is, is that we miss, we miss the strength of this story. Here it is. Jesus came to earth so you can go to heaven. That's, that's really what it's all about. But there's, there's an immediate dilemma that exists with that. Why? Because heaven is a place where God is, and God is holy. That means he is without sin, and we cannot be in the presence of God. Because we, in and of ourselves, I know I am born in sin. It says in God's word that you and I are dead in sin. And this is where Jesus steps in. Therefore, Christmas, Christmas is bigger. It is different in its understanding than what many people have. Many people think, what? Well, there's baby Jesus in the manger. He is little and tiny and helpless and weak and shivering in the cold. And he so desperately needs you to love him. Oh, that is so wrong. Well, it is true that Jesus did come as a humble baby. There is nothing weak and there is nothing ordinary about this little one. Understand, this baby's birth 
was prophesied thousands of years prior in perfect fulfillment of God's perfect plan. This baby is proof of God's love for you as an individual. This baby is your creator, the one who formed and fashioned you, your creator incarnate, your redeemer embodied, your savior personified. This baby that was born offers something that you cannot, you cannot have apart from him. And that is forgiveness from sin. This little baby is the one who rescues you and me. Hear this, people. If, if you remember nothing else from this evening, remember this. He does not need you. You need him. You need him. You need a holy God that has come to earth, born as a baby, to live, to die, and live again. Why? So you too can live. And this is hard to to comprehend. It's hard to wrap our minds around this idea. I love how the great German reformer Martin Luther said it. He says, the mystery of the humanity of Christ is beyond all human understanding. Jesus, content with a manger at birth so that we can have a mansion when we die. But understand, this is not a mansion for the sake of a mansion. This is not a mansion for you to have more comfort with your electric pepper grinder. It's not that. The the mansion is secondary to the mission that God is on. And that is to rescue and to redeem. A lot of people know the story, but they don't know the story, his story. There's primarily two Gospels that record all the events that we know about surrounding the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the people, the places, the sights, the smells... We, we, we've heard people talk about this. What, Matthew chapters 1 and 2 and Luke chapters 1 and 2. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is that Matthew speaks about three wise men, but there's absolutely no mention of any shepherds or any sheep. Whereas Luke speaks about shepherds and sheep, but he makes no mention of the wise men. Matthew tells us of gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but there is no mention of a stable, a manger, or swaddling clothes. Luke tells us about a manger and a stable and swaddling clothes, but he makes no mention whatsoever of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Matthew writes about a star from the east, but he doesn't talk about an inn where there was no room for him. Luke talks about an inn where there was no room for him, but he doesn't mention about a star from the east. Matthew explains very, very clearly how an angel gave a clear message of God's plan to Joseph. Luke omits that detail. Whereas Luke explains how an angel gives a clear message to Mary, and Matthew omits that detail. What's interesting is that this is the same story from different angles, from different viewpoints, different emphasis, different details. 
We understand that Matthew speaks of Jesus Christ as being a sovereign king, where Luke's gospel speaks of Jesus Christ as being a humble servant. One story, two angles. What's interesting is this, is that there's, there's, there's one main thing that they have in common. There's one massive big idea that is similar. And it's why Jesus came. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 says this, and I quote, She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Luke chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord's. Two authors, two stories, two angles, and one purpose. Repeat it. Why? So you and I don't miss it. Basic law of hermeneutics, when you're studying Scripture, interpreting Scripture, whenever anything is repeated, whenever it's in Scripture more than one time, I tell you what, you better pay close attention to it. It's exactly what we have before us. So here it is, Jesus born a Savior to save people from their sins. Now, let me give you a little hint this evening. You only need a Savior if you are in need of being saved. You get that? You only need someone to jump into the pool to, to, to rescue you if you're drowning, not if you're doing laps. It's just weird. I was recently reintroduced through reading history of an 18th century English poet. His name was William Cooper. What's interesting is that Cooper actually reminds me of a lot of people that I know, many that sit right here in this very room this evening. Cooper was intelligent, he was wealthy, he was gifted, he was talented. And yet, oddly enough, strangely enough, He was a man that was deeply tormented as well. His father was a pastor, perhaps that attests for some of his tormenting. And so he kind of grew up listening about this baby that was born in a manger that grew and died on the cross to forgive sins. But instead of responding to what we refer to as the gospel of Jesus Christ or the good news of Jesus Christ, instead of responding to it, he rejected it. He pushed it away. It was too restricting. It was too restraining. And since William's mother had died when he was fairly young, he was sent away to a boarding school. He suffered abuse. He suffered neglect as a child. And as a result, he fell into great despair, discouragement, and even depression. So bad that on numerous occasions, he attempted to take his own life. And because of this, he was then institutionalized. This was when William Cooper fell under an even heavier weight of conviction and ultimately greater despair and darkness. 
until finally one day he was speaking with a physician that was present in the institution, Dr. Cook, a believer who shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ, about God's unconditional love for him, about God's grace and mercy, about forgiveness from sin and how Christ alone heals and restores, rescues and redeems one's brokenness. And for the first time, he said it was like a bright light. He fully recognized what Jesus Christ had done for him. He recognized that a holy God became man. He was born in obscurity. He lived in poverty. He suffered. He poured out his blood. And he died in humility. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again. So that everyone, everyone who puts their faith and their trust, puts their life in the name of Jesus, they too can live. Cooper surrendered his life completely to Christ, confessed his sin and the darkness and desperate hopelessness that had once confined him, he was rescued from. Upon this understanding, he penned a song. Many of you are familiar with it. We're going to listen to that song, and I want you, as you read the lyrics and listen to the lyrics, to pause and to meditate on what Jesus Christ has done for us about this baby that was born for you. Listen very carefully. William Cooper.
Redeeming love shall be my theme and will be until I die. This evening, Christmas Eve 2014, you have heard the truth of the gospel. I appreciate the testimony of this man who pens these words. There's a fountain, fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Do, do, you, do you get this? Do you see this? This is something that cannot be given to you by a stone nemeste monk. Any more than it can be given to you by a fat guy in a red suit trying to get down your chimney. You understand that? This is the greatest and the coolest gift ever. It is beyond cool. That God saw you imprisoned in your own sin. Unacceptable in his sight. He saw you lost. He saw you corrupted forever. Yet he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to rescue and to offer you hope and forgiveness and redemption and life. Do, Do you see that? It's got a tag. It says, to you from Jesus. Jesus came to earth so that you can go to heaven. One of the delights of being a pastor, the greatest delights of being a pastor, is watching Jesus rescue and redeem lives regularly. This past year, I have seen people who have suffered horrific abuse or neglect from others. I've seen people, because of their own poor decisions, cause great hurt and harm to themselves and to others. I I know people have struggled with drug habits and addictions and alcoholism and broken relationships and divorce and destruction and crushed dreams, all as a result of sin. And yet, let me tell you that, that some of them sit in this very room right now, forgiven, rescued, and redeemed because of the Lord Jesus Christ. There may be entertainment, but there is no redeeming value in a Santa Claus. There may be temporal fun with elves and toys and food but there is no eternal significance. I don't want to rain on anyone's party or parade, but the tree always dies. The presents always break or wear out. The bright lights are always put back into the box. And the crackling fire and even the stockings that are hung by the chimney with care can make you feel good for a moment, but it cannot heal brokenness, forgive sin, offer hope, and rescue a life. Only Jesus Christ, only Jesus Christ can do that. It says in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God and the word was God. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Trust him this Christmas. Trust him at this very moment. If this is new to you, please understand that it has been in God's plan since the very foundations of the earth have been set for you to hear the message of the gospel. You respond by simply saying, Lord, I am yours. I know who you are, and I know that apart from you, there is no hope. And so I trust you as my Savior, and I desire to live every moment from this moment on with you as my Lord. Praise God for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We are thrilled and amazed at your love for us. In and of ourselves, we fall desperately short. And yet you care for us. We thank you, Lord, that you offered your own son to take our place to suffer, to have his blood poured out that cleanses the blackness and the darkness of our sinful hearts. We praise you for that. We praise you, Lord, for every single person that is here tonight. And we pray, Lord, for those at this very moment who are acknowledging you as Lord and Savior. We know that at one moment, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I would ask that that some who are here this evening would not hesitate any longer. They would put their trust in you. Thank you for your love and thank you for the gift of Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Thank you, Pastor Tim.